so. Isaiah chapter number 3. Everybody doing okay tonight? Everybody awake? Anybody tired? Anybody t- okay, a lot of people tired. Someone told me one time, tired people rule the world. And I said, well, I don't know that uh, all tired people rule, but all people that rule are tired. Amen? So, um, but if you're tired tonight, you're in good company. Well, Isaiah 3, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll be looking at the entire chapter tonight, but let's begin with the first four verses there, and uh, that'll get us started. The Bible says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty, and the honorable man and counselor, and the cunning art, 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 artificer, and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And so uh, Isaiah 2, 3, 4, and 5 are all part of the same prophecy. We began this prophecy last, uh, last week with chapter 2. And we'll continue looking at uh, chapter 3 tonight. The title of the study is this, The Cause of Judah's Predicted Captivity. And so Isaiah is writing about an upcoming captivity. We know that would take place with Babylon. And here he's going to lay out for them why it was they would fall, what the causes were. So we're going to look at that tonight. And again, this is uh, written to Judah. It's not written to America. It's not written to Western culture. But I think there's some applications that can be made, and we'll seek to do that along the way. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we ask that you'd help us as we go verse by verse through this chapter. Help us to understand it. And Lord, not only do uh, leave here with a better intellect of the passage, but uh, Lord, inspired to live a life that pleases you. And so, Lord, make applications in each of our hearts where necessary. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, Luke chapter 12, verse 48 The Bible says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Why did God hold uh, Israel to such a high standard? The reason is, is because they had been given more than most countries. And uh, the, the, the idea here, the concept here is that privilege creates responsibility. Let me say that again. Privilege creates responsibility. Outside of the nation of Israel, you'd be hard-pressed to find a country in the world that that has a deeper, richer heritage when it comes to the Bible and uh, Bible truth and an exposure to Bible truth in the United States of America. This country has a rich heritage of being spiritual and godly, and the Bible being preached. In fact, uh, even public historians to this day still teach about the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, where America had its spiritual revival and we came back to God. Furthermore, you can look at a Third Great Awakening with Billy Sunday in the 1930s, when his sermons would be printed on the front of major newspapers and uh, prohibition would become an amendment of the Constitution for a, a short while. And Billy Sunday would go in and, into a town and preach a, a, a series of sermons over 30 days. And when he'd leave, the taverns would close. Why? Because America has a rich 
heritage of a Bible. And so we have been a country of great privilege, but with that privilege uh, that comes great responsibility. Such was the case in Israel. They were God's chosen people. They had been uh, uh, coddled and cared for by God. They had been given much, and now they had neglected God. And Isaiah is writing to them saying that because of your neglect of the God who loves you, there is impending doom headed your direction. We opened up the book and we said that the whole book can be summed up into two categories. We said it is the government of God and the grace of God. The government of God. And uh, I told you when you wrote that down to put down the word law, law. And then the grace of God, judgment and hope. And so uh, uh, Isaiah goes back and forth between these two themes. While he talks about God's punishment being poured down on the country, he continues to offer them hope. And so the chapter here, chapter 3, speaks of two causes that seem on the surface completely unrelated. And we're going to look at both of these tonight. And the two causes that he addresses are weak government, weak government. We're going to look at that one first. And uh, that's not point one, but just generically weak government. And then the second issue that's addressed in detail is women's dress. Women's dress. He goes in to the way that women dress. Now those two may seem to be completely unrelated to each other, but as we will see at the end of the Bible study, these two things historically can be tied together. Let's jump in tonight to the outline in verse by verse through chapter 3. Notice with me point number 1. You'll see there on the back of your uh, prayer bulletin and out fill in the blank outline. I encourage you to take notes as we go. Notice number 1, a promised drought. A promised drought. Look with me at chapter 3. And look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. Uh, There are 13 famines mentioned in the Word of God. 13. And every last one of those famines uh, is a judgment form uh, is a judgment from God upon the nation of Israel. Thirteen droughts mentioned in the Bible. All thirteen droughts in some way or another can be tied to God punishing Israel. All thirteen droughts. And so here, uh, famines. So here is another famine, another drought that God is promising. And uh, this famine is going to be the punishment of God uh, for their sin. Notice letter A, political famine. Political Famine. Look with me uh, at verse number 1 and notice that this is a famine of provisions. Look at verse number 1 again. The Bible says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff. Look here. The whole stay of bread. Notice the provisions here. And the whole stay of water. He's saying here that part of your famine, part of this famine is a famine of provisions, a famine of provisions, that which you need to just sustain life. Now, Jesus would remind us that man doth not live by bread alone, but bread is necessary to live. If you don't eat, you can't live. You've heard people say you shouldn't uh, eat, live to eat, you should eat to live, and I probably battle with that a little bit, amen? Uh, But uh, food is necessary 
Food is important. And uh, Isaiah is saying here, there's coming a day because of the sinful choices that you've made that God's going to punish you. And part of that punishment is going to be a famine of food, a famine of sustenance, a family of provisions. Notice also from verse 2 that this is a famine of protectors. Look at verse 2. The Bible uh, continues on describing this famine, this drought, the mighty man and the man of war, uh, someone to protect them. You can skip ahead in time and see this uh, prophecy come through in the person of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah talks about having come back from the captivity of Babylon. And uh, in the book of Lamentations, he talks about walking around the streets and seeing the, 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 the buildings smoldering on fire and children wandering in the street looking for food and a baby crying because the mother doesn't have enough strength to even give her newborn suck. And there's no, she's so malnourished, she can't feed her own child, and uh, there's no army, there's no, um, uh, there's no force, there's no mighty man, there's no man of war to protect them. There is a drought, there is a famine, there is a coming dearth of, 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 of protectors over Judah, over Israel. Now notice that while this is being preached, the army of Israel is strong. While this is being preached, there's great abundance of food. There's great abundance of water. And so Isaiah stands up and he says, because of your sin, there's going to be a famine of provision. There's going to be a famine of protection. Uh, But they yawn at his message and no change is made. And so, Christian, we must be careful to know that, uh, that, listen, that um, when God says he's going to come through and punish sin, that harvest may not come in tomorrow, but it always comes in eventually. Notice also here we see a famine of politicians. Look with me back at verse number 2. The Bible says, the mighty man and the man of war. Notice that next one, the judge, the judge. Now, one commentary I read was written in the 1970s. How many of you here are familiar with J. Vernon McGee? Uh, he was a popular guy back in the day uh, through the Bible series and was on the radio and a lot of people enjoyed him. And J. Vernon McGee said, I look around, uh, and again, he wrote this in the 70s. He said, I look around today at our politicians. He said, I look around today at our army generals. And he said, I look around today at our entertainers. I look around today at what the world hails as great and what the world has given us, what the world has provided us, uh, pales in comparison to the uh, politicians, to the generals, uh, to the entertainers of yesteryear. He said there was a day uh, where uh, those positions were held by people who were great. He said today you look at the politicians that were offered, and again, this was written, he wrote this in the 1970s, He said they're cheap gimmicks compared to the great politicians of yesteryear. I I don't know how you feel, and I'm not going to get political tonight. I'm just going to be very generic. I don't know how you feel when you hear the word politician, but part of me feels a little slimy when I even hear the word. No, I'm not saying every politician's slimy. I'm not saying that. But there is a stigma attached to that. And why is that? Because politicians for years as a whole have been corrupt and when you look at what uh, uh, what Israel had to offer at the end of their time 
The kings that ran Israel at the very, Judah at the very end of that reign as Babylon came in, boy, they weren't David. They weren't Solomon. Uh, they weren't Hezekiah. These were men who were not very good at what they did. And as a country goes down, please don't miss this because I believe there's a great application to us here today. As a country begins down a downward slope, the ability of that country to produce men who are able to lead gets less and less and less. The stature and character and the uh, polish and the wherewithal gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I look today at many of the presidents that we've had over the last several decades. You can make a case for all of the presidents we've had over the last several decades, and they're not very good in comparison to what we used to have, to what we used to have. Uh, a famine of provision, a famine of protectors, a famine of politicians. He goes on and talks about a famine of preachers, a famine of preachers. Look at verse number two again. The Bible says, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge, look here, and the prophet. Look down to verse three, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the Counselor, the counselor, the honorable man, the counselor, the prophet, these all describe someone who is a preacher, someone who is a holy man, someone who is righteous, someone that is supposed to lead a country. I look around today at the average preacher in our country and he is far from what he ought to be. I look back to yesteryear to people like uh, uh, Spurgeon and um, uh, preachers of yesteryear uh, like D.L. Moody. I mentioned Billy Sunday a while ago. And I look at the average pastor today. I even look at myself in the mirror. And there has been a, 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 a de- degradation of the position. The average pastor, the average preacher is weak and soft and is not able to do the job that he ought to do on the level that he's called to do it. Uh, uh, there is a lack of backbone by most men in our culture today. And God was telling Judah here that as you grow closer to the end here, uh, the, as you grow closer to captivity, you're going to see a famine in these areas. Notice next, a famine of prudence. A famine of prudence. Look back at verse number 2. The Bible says, The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, look here, and the prudent, the prudent. Look back at verse number 3 with me again. You see the word counselor and the counselor. A prudent man is one who can offer counsel. Again, skip ahead in time to when Babylon has come in and carried away um, folks like Daniel and, uh, and his peers. Uh, look at a day where there's the multiple carrying aways into captivity and the burning of the city and only the poor and only the, uh, the rejects of society are left in Jerusalem. The city is burned and uh, thieves can come through and pillage and take whatever they want and children are walking around with soot on their face. Where are the counselors at that time to help them? Well, they're non-existent. They're non-existent. There was coming a day where there would be a drought, a dearth, a famine of prudence in the land. I look at today's counselors. I do my share of counseling in my office. And uh, listen, I believe there are, let me be very, very clear when I say this. I believe there are secular counselors who are good at what they do and are able to help people. I do believe that. I have heard of it. I have seen it. But can I tell you that when many people who come into my office who've gone to seek out secular counselors come in to see me, I'll share with them what the Bible has to say, 
and they look at me and say, I don't know why I wasted my money going to some counselor who was not able to help me. Now, again, I think there are people out there who have a Judeo-Christian base who are able to help folks to a point. Well, when we get away from the Word of God as a culture and we're not sharing Bible truth anymore, how much help can we really give people? And there is a dearth of prudence in America. James talks about wisdom that cometh from above and wisdom that is devilish and sinful, and that wisdom is filled with, with, with strife and bitterness and envyings. And boy, you look around today and what you find is a lot of the latter. A dearth, a famine of prudence. One more here, notice, a famine of professionals. Look back here at verse number 3 with me. Uh, the Bible says uh, the, uh, the, the captain of 50, and that's speaking of the, um, the protector, uh, the honorable man, that's the preacher, the counselor, that's the prudent, the cunning artif- artificer, and the eloquent orator. I was taught in school that uh, in the 1800s, this country had three uh, uh, great compromisers in our U.S. Senate. And um, uh, John Calhoun would have been one of them. The other two men, I'm going right off the top of my head here. History class was a long time ago. But they talked about how these men were oratorical and they could bring about great compromise between political parties and could bring bipartisanship to be able to pass meaningful legislation in the country. Now, again, I'm not picking sides Republican or Democrat tonight, but can I tell you why I've just basically tuned out the news? Because all they do in Washington is fight with each other. There isn't any working across the aisle. It's whichever party holds the power, ignores the other side. And both sides do it, by the way. Both sides do it. Where are the orators? Where are the people who can sit down and work together? Where is the bipartisanship? Boy, the Bible says there would be a dearth of oratorical ability in the last day. I, again, I look at what we call entertainment as a culture on TV today. Um, I don't watch sitcoms. I don't watch um, uh, TV. Uh, in fact, I don't even have cable anymore. Uh, but um, I, when I have seen a sitcom on and I'll see interacting and bantering back and forth, they have a laugh track. It's a good thing they have that laugh track because what they are labeling funny just isn't funny. It's just not funny. And uh, even if it isn't off-color, it's just not funny. And uh, music today, I'm walking through the store, and uh, the, the music that comes over the speakers gives me a headache. And honestly, it just sounds like racket. You know, we have some guy who gets on a late-night show, and he's strumming a guitar and screaming at the top of his lungs, and we call that music? You know, where, where are the professionals? And you see that there is a drought, a dearth of professionalism as the culture continues to decline. And these are markings, these are signs of a country that is heading down the wrong path to destruction. Letter A, we see political famine. Letter B, notice spiritual famine. Spiritual famine. Look with me at uh, verse number 5 through 7. Below spiritual famine, notice the disrespect of authority. Before we move on to verse 5, let me go back and and let's look at verse 4 together. I want to point something out here. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Now, does that mean, verse 4, does that mean that babies were going to be king? No, I, I don't think that's what it means. Can I tell you what I think it means? 
What I think it means is that the people who are going to rule over you are going to have about the intellect and the capacity of a child or, or a baby. And that's what it looks like at the end. Now, the disrespect of authority, look at verse number 5. Let's read through verse number 7. The Bible says, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. What happens? Back in verse 5, we see that the children are very disrespectful toward the elderly. There isn't a respect of the elders. One thing that I love about my wife's culture, and I think this used to be true of American culture, or used to be more true of American culture than it is today, but it's still very true in the Latin American culture of Peru, is that the elderly are very much reverenced by the younger. There is a great respect shown to your elders. One marking that a society is headed in a very poor direction is when the children no longer listen to or respect the elderly. It's not a good sign. Not a good sign. I just want to take a moment and say to everyone who's been a part of this church for 20 or 30 years, every one of you that is uh, over the age of 65 or 70 who've been at this Christian life thing for a while and been working hard to raise a family and now love your grandchildren, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I respect you. I appreciate you. I, I want to hear your counsel and your advice. Paul told Timothy, he said, respect the elders of your church. You're the pastor, but respect the elders of the church. Consider what they have to say. Give them an ear. There's a place for that. And as a culture, we must get back to a place where we put up on a pedestal the hoary head, the gray head, the one who has lived life and had that experience, but we see here that the position of leadership had been so dumped on, had been so torn down that even when the city was burning, they, uh, uh, Isaiah said that uh, the adults will be asked to lead again and they're going to look around at how poorly the position's been handled and they're going to say, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. Turn with, with me, if you would, over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, look with me at verse Number two, the disrespect of authority. Look at verse number two and verse number three. The Bible says, uh, speaking of the last days, it says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Look at this next one. Disobedient to parents. See the disrespect? Unthankful, unholy without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. The list goes on. The last days, what you're going to see is that authority is disrespected. The ancient is put down and mistreated. And um, uh, uh, here we see Isaiah saying about Judah that this is markings, that you're in trouble. There is a spiritual famine that is coming your way. Notice below that, notice their 
disregard for the Lord, their disregard for the Lord. When we push back against authority, not only are we pushing back against man, we're also committed to push back against God. Look at verse number 8 with me of Isaiah chapter 3. The Bible says, For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. He's saying here that not only are your actions, but your tongue is directly against the Lord. It is provoking the Lord. Turn back with me, if you would, over to Isaiah chapter 1. We'll come back and look at 9 through 13 in just a moment. Look back with me to Isaiah chapter 1 and look at verse number 4. And um, uh, here the Bible says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. They've just turned their back. They've forsaken Him. They have forgotten Him. And in so doing, they have provoked Him to anger. Look back with me at um, chapter 3. Look at verse number 9. It says, The show of of their countenance doth witness against them. And look here, they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. This is the second time that Isaiah has told them they're just like Sodom in the book, in just three short chapters. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy path. Of thy path. Verse 13, the Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the people. There's a lot here to unpack. Go back with me and look at verse number 9, where it says, The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. Someone once said, sin is now out in the open. What used to be done in the backyard is now moved to the front yard. What was done undercover is now done in the open. The boast is that we are more honest now. No, we're not more honest. We are the same hypocrites that our fathers were. They were hypocrites because they hid their sin. And we are hypocrites because we are sinning out in the open and trying to say that the sin is good. My goodness. Now we dismiss our sin. We pretend as though, well, we rationalize it. It's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Well, everyone else does it. Well, we're hypocrites for a different reason. We are turning our sin into good. Isn't it Isaiah that said, Woe unto them that call good evil and evil good? And I'm speaking broadly as a culture, but I think as Christians, we can be guilty of the same thing. Look at verse 10 and 11. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be with him, where they eat the fruit of their doings. And then verse 11, we get the opposite, the other side of the coin. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. Verse 10 is saying if you, if you work righteousness, then you're going to eat the fruit of your righteousness 
But woe unto the wicked, if you sow wickedly, you're going to bring in the harvest of wickedness. The New Testament equivalent is that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. If you sow righteously, you're going to get righteous, righteously, righteousness. If you sow wickedness, you're going to bring to yourself wickedness. Verse 12, look at verse 12, and I want to make a point out of verse 12 here. It says, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy past. Two thoughts on this. First of all, you can go throughout the Bible, and you can find a handful of occasions where God has allowed a woman to be the spiritual leader over a group of people. The first one that comes to mind is in the book of Judges with uh, the judge Deborah. And why was Deborah called to lead? Because there were no men in the country who were strong enough to lead. In fact, Barak was the one who served alongside of her, and Barak wouldn't go to war unless Deborah held his hand. And so here you see a lack of male leadership, And so God called a woman to step in in his place. And then you go uh, into uh, the kings of of, uh, Judah and you find a king who is cleaning out the temple and uh, they find holy uh, holy books. They have no idea what it means and they search high and low for a prophet to tell them and there are no prophets left in Israel. And so they find a woman who knows these things and the woman is able to read and translate. Why? Because when there is not male men to lead, that's God's original intent, He will call a woman to step up and do it in that place. Why is it here that in the last days of Israel leading into captivity that women were ruling because men had failed in their ability to lead and so women had to step up and do it. And I just want to say, will the real men in America please stand up? I look back at men from my childhood and I turn around and look at the average man today and what I see are emasculated wimps today. And I'm not saying every man's that way, but I'm saying the average man is. And it's time for men to be men. Now, I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about being rude and crass and unkind and pushy. I'm talking about having a, a core of, of, of steel with a, that is wrapped in velvet, and that's kindness, and having a backbone, and having conviction, and willing to confront wrongdoing, and willing to stand up and say, I've prayed about it, and I've talked to the Lord about it, and those of you that call me leader, get in behind, because we're going to go follow the Lord. We need men to stand up and be men, and in our culture, men are being pushed to act like women, and women are being pushed to act like men. And I would say to the women here today that are listening online uh, that think that this is just uh, out of bounds and wrong and uh, talking, please understand that for you to fall fall below what God's called you to and act like a man, that is falling below your calling. You're not climbing up to the man. You're falling below your calling. Men are brutish and men are rough and men are gruff and God calls women to a position of grace and meekness 
and beauty. Please don't ever, ever, ever trade that in to have the role or that which God has created the man to do. But what else happens when women are given a role of authority? Well, you see from uh, what the Bible lays out for us that eventually, in every case, that ends up leading uh, to bad things. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians and you see they had a problem with women running the church and that church was a mess. Go back to the book of Genesis and you see that God told Eve that her uh, calling was to be to follow her husband and he was to lead her. And so you see here, uh, back in fact, look with me back at verse number, uh, uh, verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 12. It says, um, O my people, they which lead thee cause the air. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse there. Uh, verse, verse number, yeah, verse number 12. As for me, as for my people, children of their oppressors, women will over them, O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy path. So the leadership they had, children and women, were leading them astray. Uh, listen, I have no problem with strong women. No problem with strong women. What I have a problem with is weak men. Where you have a strong woman, you need a stronger man to stand up and lead her. And we need men to be men. So we see their disregard for the Lord. Notice also here in this passage, their debasement of the poor. Their debasement of the poor. Look at verse number 14 and 15 with me. The Bible says, The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof, for ye have eaten up the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces? And grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts. One sign that a country is in great spiritual famine is when it becomes commonplace to take advantage of poor people. I am a capitalist. I believe in capitalism as a system. But I can tell you this, that when capitalism becomes corrupt, you have people that take advantage of the poor. It is never God's will. It is never appropriate to use capitalism to steal from the poor in order for the rich to have more. And I'm for governments that step in and regulate, make sure that the rules are followed and that uh, fair uh, uh, play is fair and that uh, there is, uh, uh, listen, I, if you uh, start your own business, you're able to make lots of money, you're able to be wealthy, hey, I'm all for you, as long as you're not stepping on the little guy and taking money from him in order to help yourself. And what was happening here is that the spoil of the poor is laid up in the rich man's house. God says, shame on you. You're taking advantage of of the poor. We looked at last week, James chapter 1, that pure religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. True religion is loving on the vulnerable. Loving on the vulnerable. You see someone that is doing without, you ought to be there to help them. You ought to extend a hand to help them. And I'm not talking about the government forcing us into doing that. I'm talking about you just being a good Christian and helping the poor. One sign of spiritual famine of a country is that the poor are taken advantage of and the poor are ignored. And so here, uh, the prophet Isaiah says to them, what are the causes of your predicted captivity? Well, there is a drought, a political famine, and there is a spiritual famine. And while this is written to Judah, boy, I see a lot of parallels with America. I see a lot of parallels with our culture. Number two, number two. Notice here the problem with their dress. The problem with their dress. 
Now, the rest of the chapter seems to take a strange 90-degree turn. Here he's hammering them for you know, their weak government, and now he's going to flip over and start talking about female garments. Um, kind of strange direction to go. Um, but I believe that these two have a very interesting connection. Letter A, notice their inward condition. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Moreover the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty. Look at that word haughty. That means proud, obstinate, vain. Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes. Look here. Walking and menacing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet. Now I looked into that phrase tinkling with their feet and couldn't come up with much. All I can figure is that that was um, terminology that would have made sense uh, in, within the culture. But it's the idea of someone who's prancing where they shouldn't be. Look here at the inward condition. The inward condition is that their hearts are haughty. They are filled with pride. Take your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter number 3. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 3, and look with me at the first five verses here, the, their inward condition, and uh, God would use Peter to talk about the inward condition in a positive way. Look at verse number 1 of 1 Peter 3, I'm going to begin reading, the Bible says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one by the conversation, the lifestyle of the wives. Look at verse 2. While they behold your chaste lifestyle, conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. What's this saying here? Is it saying it's wrong to, um, uh, to plate your hair or put on gold or, or to put on clothes? Obviously not. Obviously not. Um, I had uh, someone who, from a Pentecostal background took me to this passage or at least quoted, tried to quote this passage to me and said, it's wrong for a woman to wear makeup or jewelry. And I said, no, well, if that's the case, then this verse also means it's wrong for a woman to wear clothes. Notice it says the putting on of apparel. And so it isn't the problem with putting on apparel. It isn't the problem of wearing nice clothes. It isn't the problem of uh, getting your hair highlighted or wearing nice jewelry, but it is the concept of a woman who spends more time getting dressed up and worrying about her appearance on the outside than she does who she is on the inside. Now, while this passage can be preached to women, can I just say this is applicable to both sides? Men, most of us don't spend more than five minutes getting ready. Amen? One advantage of being bald is that it doesn't take that long to brush your hair. Amen? There have been times where I've needed to get ready quick and I can hop in the shower and be dressed and out the door in seven minutes or less. My wife has never taken a shower and been dressed and out the door 
in seven minutes or less. Probably not in 70 minutes or less. Amen? It takes a while for uh, the ladies to get ready. And so, listen, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your appearance. But when you spend more time on your appearance outwardly than on who you are on the inside, that's where we grow a problem. One counselor, marriage counselor, said that a, a, a husband and wife connect ought to connect three ways. They ought to uh, connect physically. They ought to connect psychologically. And they ought to connect spiritually. And I believe that to be true. And when a woman bases her connection on a man simply on the physical, we have to understand that with age, the beauty begins to not be there quite as much. You, you, you get older and that beauty that you had in your youth begins to fade. But when you have a heart connection and when you have a mental connection, boy, that, that goes a long ways. that spiritual connection. And here he's saying here, you girls are dressed sexy. You're walking around with outfits that are sexy, but your heart is a mess. The inward condition. Notice quickly, letter B, their outward expression. Their outward expression. Look back with me at Isaiah chapter 3 and verse number um, 16. The Bible says, Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks, and wanton eyes, walking and menacing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet. What's going on here? They're dressed in a way that draws eyeballs to their body. Someone once said, wisely said, uh, let the arrows of your fashion always point to your face. I think that's a good principle to live by. If you're wearing something, ladies and men, that draw eyeballs to any part of your physique, anatomy other than your face, you probably need to not wear that anymore. Uh, why do we need to draw eyeballs to anything other than our face? God gave, ladies, God gave you a beautiful body. That's how He made you. He gave you a beautiful body for your husband not, and not for anyone else. And here these girls are walking around prancing, prancing, showing off their beauty and it didn't please the Lord. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, this topic of modesty in our dress, uh, in our dress is addressed in Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse number 9. For time is sake, I'm going to begin reading. Catch up when you get there. The Bible says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with voided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, which, but which becometh uh, women professing godliness with good works, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, there's a lot here, and for sake of time, we're not going to dive uh, deep in here. Look, I, I just want to be, uh, I'm going to hit one little truth here, and then we're going to finish out the outline. Here's the truth. I've been a part of many churches that harp on the way women ought to dress. And I just think that, by and large, that's a waste of time. Here's what I've found to be true. If a woman will get her heart right with God, her dress will take care of itself. If you have a heart that is right with the Lord, then no one has to tell you what's modest and immodest. You'll figure it out. The Lord will work on your heart. 
what the problem was with these girls in Israel was that their hearts were haughty. So, of course, their dress was off. And ladies, let's have a heart that's tender to the Lord, and no one will have to stand up and say, do wear this or don't wear this. Their outward expression, letter C, notice, their upward castigation. Look at verse 17. God's going to punish them uh, for the way they're walking around town. Look at verse 17. Therefore the Lord will smite with the scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. I believe that means they'll be struck with disease for the way they uh, dress. And the, the application would be, look at all the venereal diseases that run around our country today because of the loose sexual looseness of our land. Verse 18, in that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments uh, about their feet and their uh, uh, calls and their round uh, tires like the moon, their, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers. I don't think that means like we would think a car muffler. Amen. Uh, verse 20, the bonnets and the ornaments of legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils to my account. That's 20 articles of garments that um, are listed here, that God is going to take this immodest peril, apparel away and that God's going to punish them and scab the top of their head and discover or expose their hidden parts. I believe, again, that means diseased and, 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 and in pain. And so when we are walking around with a haughty heart and that's displayed in the way we dress, God says here that that would be punished. The upward castigation, letter D, notice their downward humiliation. Verse 24, look there. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, that would be perfume, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, a baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth. And burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword. And thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn. And, shall, and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. Proverbs 5 tells us about the loose, strange woman. Proverbs 5 talks about how her feet lead to hell. Her feet lead to hell. Now, women, I just want to finish by saying this. I am thankful for the women of this church. I'm thankful for the dress culture we have at our church. We don't have a dress code, but we have a dress culture. Many of you women attribute, contribute uh, to making that happen. But listen, uh, you ought not only dress in a way that's modest at church, you ought to dress the way it's modest when you go to Walmart. You ought to dress the way it's modest anytime you're out in public. You ought to dress in a way that pleases the Lord. He says here that one day, one day, the whole country is going to fall because, uh, uh, because the culture has gotten so secular that things have fallen. Now, how do these two points tie together? How do you see this drought, this this drought, this promised drought, and then here we see point two, uh, the problem with their dress. How do these two things tie together? Now, I can't say this is always the case, but I think in Western culture, it is always the case. Western culture, Western culture. When you see a country in spiritual decline, you see a country filled with women in immodest dress. Look back over the history of our country. Two, three hundred years ago, when women were dressed in a way that was far more modest than they are today. 
as America has declined spiritually, our females have become far more immodest in their dress. And I just say to us today, let's be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Amen? Let's contribute to seeing our, 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 our church move forward. Back in Timothy, it talks about how the older women are to teach the younger women. And if you're here today and you're young in the Lord, find someone who's been saved a while and seems to have a good handle on this and go to one of these dear sisters in the Lord and have them teach you. Have the humility to have them teach you and answer your questions in this area. I'll say this. I counsel a lot, but if you're a woman in this church, don't come ask me about what you should and shouldn't wear. Amen? You can go ask one of the other ladies.